0: take your Bibles, please, you can turn to the sixth chapter of Revelation. The title of this message is The Four Horsemen, and it's the twelfth week that we have been in Revelation, and uh, we're starting to get into some stuff that is a little bit more unique and symbolic of, of what's happening in the world. So would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, we need your help. We recognize that there are aspects of the word and especially as we start today into the opening of the seals that have a tendency to cause us to fear. So much of it is unknown. So much of it brings us to places where we don't like going. And yet in the middle of all of this, the message is unmistakable that we have a savior that is reaching out to the world while there's still hope and that we still have a chance. And so I ask that as we get into the symbolism of some of the things that are happening here, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what is really happening, where we are in our world today, how this fits into your plan to redeem your church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am sure that at one time or another, every one of you have experienced a night that was interrupted because of a nightmare. Something that in my case I have had chances where I have woken up and I've been in a sweat and as I have done so there came this huge relief that what I was dreaming in my subconscious was not actually reality when I woke up. Have any of you ever had that? When you wake up and you're going, oh oh, good, oh good. For me I get to look over and see if Cindy's still in bed then the rapture didn't happen. All of these things that you begin to worry about take place but Some of you have awakened in the night with nightmares that are so vivid that you have found yourself trembling, terrified. Many of you as parents may have had to sit next to a child that woke up having a nightmare. Nightmares are not much fun. We are about to move in Revelation from the greatest worship scenes that could possibly be revealed to us in chapters 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation into a scene of a real-life nightmare. What we are about to see goes from indescribable worship to indescribable judgment being poured out. And this nightmare is not something that the world will wake up from. In fact, as we get into it, you're going to discover that this is something that is already beginning to grip our world and is going to continue to get much, much worse. Sometimes you have to work through bad news before you get to the good news. The good news was the previous two chapters of what we know is ahead of us in the realms of heaven that are worshiping. And we leave that scene where there are millions upon millions upon millions of uncountable angels that are singing. And every created thing in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea breaking forth in a frequency that we will all be able to hear and participate in. We move from the imagery and the glory of the throne of God in chapter 4 and the magnificent image of the triumphant Lamb who walks to the middle of the throne and takes from the Father the scroll in His hand. We begin to see that the scroll has seven seals on it and it's written on both sides and The scroll, of course, as we discussed last week, is the will of the Father. It's being poured out on the earth. It's the story, the narrative, the unfolding of the end of the earth and the end of human history as we know it. And it's in the coming of God's kingdom. And Revelation 5, 7 says this. He, the Lamb, came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And we recognize as we get into this sixth chapter that the Lamb that we're talking about is Jesus who took upon himself all of the sins of the world, all of the sins of humanity for time and eternity, and completely satisfied in that moment the divine justice which was required because we know the Scripture says, For the wages of sin is death. So Jesus, in a substitute role, took upon himself our sin and the death that we deserved, and he alone now is worthy to take the scroll. And he represents to us that the greatest power in the universe is the weakness of sacrificial love. He took my place and made it possible... For me to choose Him as my Lord and Savior so that I might escape this unending nightmare that's about to take place and escape an eternity that would be away from Him. So as we approach this sixth chapter, we have now seen that Jesus alone has the power to superintend the end of human history. And that is where we go as we enter into the sixth chapter of John. John's revelation today symbolized... By one of the most famous images in the book of Revelation, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, I discovered a couple of weeks ago that when I just dis- began to describe the four beings, living creatures, that people instantly began to take your phones and you're looking down trying to call up the images of what that might have looked like. I, there was, I mean, a, you could see faces all over the place, whoop, right down to their phone. And so we decided today that we would go ahead and put the images for you so that you can keep your eyes on the message and put these images up for you today so that you might be able to get a glimpse of the imagery of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the things that are taking place there. If you were to take a close look at this scene, this artist's rendition is not only of the the four horsemen, but of the the unending pain that is about to be poured out upon the earth because this is the stuff that nightmares are made of. And the picture that is up now shows the image of the four horsemen represented in each of the first seals that will be broken. The far right is going to be the white horse. Then it's going to be the red horse. Then there will be coming of the black horse. And then there will come the last of the horses, the pale horse, pale as death itself. And these four horsemen, Horses are going to represent the first four steps of God unfolding human history. And as Jesus breaks these seals and begins to loosen the scroll, he will eventually get to the seventh seal and break it, which you must understand that all of these are God's response to a world that said no to him. All of this is in response to a world that looked at Jesus, knowing everything that he's done, and said, No, I don't want you. I reject the vaccine for my sin that is found in Jesus. And so these seals, in many senses, will represent the collapsing of humanity on itself in utter utter devastation as evil has its way. And so you need to know that as a backdrop... For Revelation 6, we need to look at John ten ten because it describes the job description that Satan and evil have had versus what the Lord says when he said, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so we are going to see what happens when evil has its way. And Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here are the two choices. The only two choices that every individual on the face of the earth will make. Do you choose Jesus or do you say no to Jesus? And so as we have this joy around the throne of God, we now see what happens when humanity pushes God out. How many of you know that we are watching this happen today? Our world today is doing everything in its power to shove God out. And we're about to see what happens when they can begin to accomplish that. So if we could summarize before I begin, it would be this. Things are going to get worse before they get better. These four horsemen are telling us things are going to get worse before they get better. Let's jump into the word, shall we? Point number one, and we find in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I watched, this is John speaking, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Now if you remember last week, the Romans, whenever they made a will, it was rolled up into a scroll and the seven witnesses had to to tie a little string around it and then they sealed that. And so that's how we knew that the Romans understood that what was happening here was this was the will of God sealed in seven different seals. When I heard the first of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and there before me was a white horse its rider held a bow and was given a crown and rode out as a conqueror, built bent on conquest. So, so, here's the first seal, and as it is broken, we see a white horse. Now, remember that Revelation was originally written to a first century church, seven different churches in seven cities of what was then known as Asia, which today we know as Turkey. And so, these believers would have been accustomed to having been dominated by Roman Empire. But the Romans, if they had one feared enemy, it was the Parthians. The Parthians were known for their ceremonial sacred white horses. And so this is being spoken to a church that's been under a Roman empire that has been pushing them. And to them, when they see this white horse, they recognize that this may be the one thing that the Romans fear. Because the Roman armies, when they went out, their archers marched on foot... But the Parthians were such skilled warriors with a bow and arrow that they literally rode on white horses. And it took immense talent for them while they were riding on a galloping horse to be able to shoot arrows accurately at their enemies. So look with me at a picture of the first horse with an archer riding on it. And so to the churches that would have been there at that time, you can see this warrior sitting on a horse as it is moving with a bow and an arrow. This horse represents to us conquest and war. This would have been a reminder to the first century church that the Roman Empire, as mighty as it was, was vulnerable. Listen, every kingdom is vulnerable. There are many of us who are alive today that saw one of the world's great powers, the Soviet Union that was founded on a Marxist, Ideology, which impoverished most of its population, but yet had the ability to have nuclear arms developed which could have wiped out every individual on the face of the earth. They had that potential. We actually in our lifetime saw that kingdom fall. Right now, China is becoming one of the new superpowers of the world. Their navy is now larger than the American navy. And yet, regardless of how big and powerful it becomes, that kingdom likewise is vulnerable. We have enjoyed our whole lives living in the security of America, but I want you to know today more than ever, America is vulnerable. There is not a kingdom on earth that man can create that is not vulnerable. And this white horse reminds us That no nation is without its vulnerability. No empire will last forever. The white horse reminds us that there will be a falling of every empire of this world when Jesus finally comes to rule the nations. He will rule and he will come. And those that feel most powerful will see everything crumble. We move to verse 3. When the Lamb opened the second seal... I heard the second living creature. Now, you remember those four living creatures with wings and eyes all over? Each one of them begins to speak here. The second one says, come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay or kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Let's look at the vision, an artist's rendition of the second horse, the red one with a large sword. You see this incredible large sword that he carries because red reminds us of the shedding of blood. When this horseman comes, it's going to be a bloody scene. And we recognize that the second horseman speaks of civil disobedience and bloodshed. He's come to take peace from the earth. John said that I noticed that the rider of the second horse had been given a power to remove peace from the earth. In other words, he took everything that is godly away. All of the constraints that would take place that would lead the world to peace has been removed. He took away peace and his description of this is that the world is left in civil disobedience. As I was looking at that and studying that, I'm going, this is what we're going through right now. We have civil disobedience now. We are living under the pain of injustice now. We have rioting and looting and destruction, and people are being hurt now. We have civil disobedience and bloodshed taking place at this very moment within our world. In fact, within this last year, murder rates have skyrocketed all over our nation and around the world. Unprecedented levels of murder taking place. And we look at this and we see this is what is represented when the second seal, the second horseman comes. As history unfolds and Jesus breaks these seals, we see the manifestation of all of this beginning to happen with our very eyes in the world in which we live. And we move to verses 5 and 6. And when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked... And there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wage. And three quarts of barley for a day's wage. And do not damage the oil and the wine. I'd like to focus on this scripture for a minute. First of all, this rider of this black horse is carrying a pair of scales. And if we could put the image of this horse up for a moment for us to look at. For us in America today, when we see a pair of scales, we think of justice, don't we? That's what it represents to us, equal justice. That the scales don't tip one way or the other, that everything is equal. And that is certainly true of what is happening here. But I need you to also understand that in this particular instance, what is happening in this black horse is speaking of famine and injustice. It paints for us a picture that not only is it a justice system, but for the people that would have been reading this to the, in the first, this scale system was, was a picture to them of commerce. It was a picture of how to measure things out rightly so that what was being weighed was... In fact, how many times in the scripture do you, do you read about having honest scales? Because this is how things took place there. That's how they cheated in commerce, was having uneven scales. And so as we look at this horse, it speaks of famine and injustice. It paints a picture for us of hyperinflation, where food supplies become so scarce that in the law of supply and demand, the scarcer the food, the higher the demand. And what is being described to us in this scripture literally is this people will have barely enough money to be able to feed their family. Barely enough money to be able to afford what is actually mentioned in Scripture as very low-quality food. The implication here is that it is going to take a day's wage just to feed yourself. Now, here's, here's what I want to extrapolate from that. If it takes all the money that you can make just to get a little bit of grain to feed yourself, then that means there's no money left over for shelter. That means that there's, there's no money left over for clothing. That means that the very things that we have come to depend upon for survival will be in jeopardy because of the hyperinflation that's going to take place as this horseman begins to do his work on the earth. The picture is of starvation on an enormous level. But then there's this really interesting phrase that it says, And do not damage or touch the oil and the wine. Now the oil and the wine were very common in this part of the world where the seven churches were located and the interesting thing is that the oil and the wine really had no nutritional value that the wheat and barley that were spoke of would have and so it was like okay you can leave the oil and the wine because that's not going to be enough for people to survive on anyway on the other hand there's another way of looking at this as well and that is that the oil and the wine were more property of those that were wealthy rather than the poor And so we begin to look at this and can see this in the aspect of it indicates that not only were there food shortages and starvation and hyperinflation, but there was probably a growing inequality gap of the income of the the rich and those that were poverty poor. A huge gap in those things taking place. And this all becomes a picture, a horrible picture of a black horse in essence representing famine and injustice on a massive scale. And then we move from that good news into verses 7 and 8. And when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and the wild beasts of the earth. I need you to imagine here that there is going to be mass extinction. Literally, the grave is gobbling people up. And here is an image of this horse, the pale horse and its rider of death, as you can see The skeletal image of it as this artist looked to describe that for us. There is not going to be a literal horse in the sky, but it is symbolic of the fact that the fourth seal reveals to us something about the countdown of human history and what it's going to be like. Because this horse represents to us plagues and death. I find it really, really fascinating that we get to this particular port of scripture in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, the likes of which we have never experienced in our whole life. And even though people may differ a little bit about the precise interpretation of each of these horses, we know that we are living in a world where death is happening at a higher rate than it's ever happened before for all kind of reasons. So that brings us to this. Out of of these images that are revealed to us, what do we know for sure? What do we know for sure out of this? Dr. James Bradford, who pastors Central Assembly in Springfield, Missouri, he's been one of the individuals that I have been studying as I've gone along in this. And there were some things that he brought up that I wanna share with you today. He goes, how can we know for sure from the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the pictures of this incredible nightmare, what is coming on the earth? Here's what we know. Number one, human history is not improving. Human history is not improving. In fact, the 20th century was the most violent and bloody century in all of human history. I mean, our technology is improving, There are things that are being invented that make our life easier and improving, but the human heart and human condition and human history is not improving. In fact, there is no indication whatsoever that we are growing more righteous. How many of you know that we don't gradually, in a vacuum, just naturally lean toward righteousness? We lean toward unrighteousness, and we're seeing that happening everywhere. Gary Hagan, in his book called Good News About Injustice, says this about the 20th century. The 20th century could be described like an open mouth grave. It's like the fourth horseman in scripture. Then he names the mass murderers that have occurred in the 20th century to today. He said, We all know about Hitler's six million Jews, then there's Stalin's 20 million Soviet citizens. Mao's, tens of millions of political enemies and peasant families and famine victims. Pol Pot's two million Cambodians. One million Tutsi Rwandans that are dead. And millions of lives that wasted away during apartheid's 40-year reign. Then he says, you add to that and to put it in scale this. In the last 47 years since Roe versus Wade... 62 million babies have been aborted. We truly are living in an open grave of history. This is not a pleasant picture. This is a nightmare. And this is the peak at just the most recent century in human history. You cannot in any possible way see that human behavior is improving as we go farther along in history. In fact... I found it interesting as we have just gotten through a political day and age, as we've just seen elections, and and you talk to world leaders everywhere, and when they are interviewed, they are asked, what needs to happen in order for the world to change course, in order for things to turn around? And here's the best answer they've got, and I've heard it again and again. Well, we need to learn to be nicer to each other. That's the world's answer we need to learn to be nicer to each other let me tell you something an unredeemed heart is not going to be nicer to each other an evil heart is not going to be nicer it's going to become more dominant it's going to become more domineering it's going to make a way for itself this is why if you've put your hope into a political system you're going to be sadly disappointed Now, I have done my very best to keep politics out of this pulpit, but let me say this. If you believe for one minute that there is a man or a woman on this earth that's going to make things better for you by sitting in the White House, you are wrong. If you believe for one minute that becoming a socialist society... And having the right people in charge, making sure we all get the right stuff is going to answer all of your questions. You are sadly mistaken because the decision makers, if their hearts are not redeemed, have no ability to do the right thing. They'll always be motivated by a heart of greed and a heart of dominance. And so we as the church sit back and recognize, oh hallelujah, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and I'm a citizen of another kingdom. And my hope is not in this world as the seals are broken. The problem is the human heart. Human history is not improving because the human heart, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked. Even when we do the right things, we do it for the wrong reasons. So here's what we know for sure. As part of the nightmare of the four horsemen of the apocalypse is that God at some point says, I'm just going to let the human heart go without restraint, where evil can do what evil will do. So here's what we know, human history is not improving. The second thing that we know from these four horsemen is that these disruptions will be increasingly global. You notice how the pale horse is credited with bringing death and destruction to a quarter of the population of the earth. And, and as we get into Revelation a little bit more, you're going to see sometimes it talks about a quarter of the population, sometimes a third of the population. And, and all of these are just symbolic numbers that indicate the massive scale in which destruction is going to take place on the face of the earth. It, it is going to affect worldwide and humanity-wide is going to be infected. Again, this means something to us today who are seeing the worldwide infect effect of the infection of covid-19 in my lifetime i have never seen a natural disaster or a pandemic that has such global implications and i don't know where you may stand on it but it is globally it is globally impacting everything in fact as of this morning 71 million cases 50 million have recovered from it 1.6 million people have died as a result of COVID or because it activated something of a weakness within them. As of yesterday, there are more people dying daily from COVID than died in the Twin Towers falling daily. We are living in a time when the grave of the world is literally opening up and we are seeing these things happen before us. Right now, many of our nations of our world are living in this tension between a nationalism and a globalism. And according to the four horsemen of the apocalypse, it seems like globalism is going to win over nationalism. Increasingly, we're going to see things that affect and infect whole parts of the world. So here's what we know for sure as we look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. History is not improving. Disruptions will be increasingly global. And thirdly, here's what we know for sure. These are the signs that Jesus is coming soon. Just let that sink in for a minute. Because the hair on my arms underneath my shirt just stood up. These are the signs that Jesus is coming again. This is the good news of the bad news part. The bad news is that these things are gonna happen. The good news is that's not the final thing that's gonna happen. In fact, in Matthew twenty-four twenty-two. Jesus himself says, unless I shorten these days, humanity is going to self-destruct. Jesus said, but I'm going to come, and I'm going to come before the world ends, and I'm going to come personally, and I'm going to wrap up human history. I'm going to bring my final judgments to the face of the earth, and bring my kingdom to rule as well. It's a rather remarkable statement to me as I begin to realize that After he died on the cross and after he rose again, this sacrificed lamb is the one who was slain for me and goes and takes the scroll from the hand of the father and says, I will take it from here because I have won these people. And he has told us what is going to happen as all of this ends. And we look at Revelation and and see it as the vision, as the prophetic vision. But let me tell you something. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 13 in your Bibles. Because Jesus prophesied this before it was ever revealed in Revelation. In verses 7 and 8 of Mark 13, Jesus was speaking. He said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Remember, that's the white horse and the red horse. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. In other words, we're only at the fourth seal here that's going to get worse. Nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. There's the black horse. These are the beginning of birth pains. We know that there are wars and rumors of wars. We know that there is civil unrest That's taking place in the streets of our cities around the world. We know that there's going to be bloodshed. We know that there's famines. We know that there are plagues and pandemics and earthquakes and pestilence. And Jesus said in Mark, all of this is just the beginning. These are the signs. These are the signs of what's coming on. But he goes on to tell us that even as the church, we must be prepared to be mistreated. And you begin to look through what it tells us in in, in Mark chapter 13, verses 9 through 19. And I'm not going to read that, but I want you to be aware of it. Because he tells us of what's going to happen. And so knowing these things, we now go back to Revelation 6, verses 9 and 10 to look at the fifth seal. It's interesting when this fifth seal is open, what is said. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And the testimony they had maintained, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long are you going to let this go, Lord? How many of you have ever prayed that? Lord, how long is this going to last? How long before you step in and do something? How long before you bring this to an end? How long before we see you face to face? How long before we get re- re- rewarded for the persecution we're going to go through? And as you look at this, he says, not yet. Not yet. We're told to wait just a little bit longer. Because as it's described again in Mark, verses 9 through 19, he says, it's not quite done yet. yet. And the good news of that is that there are still people who need to come to know Jesus. There are those whose names are not in the Lamb's book that still need the chance. They still need the opportunity. And you and I know so many of our family and friends that we do not, while there's a cry in our heart on one side, Lord Jesus, please come on the other side. There's Lord, would you please save them before you come. So great is his love for the lost that he tells the church, I know it's not easy, but not yet. This is just the signs of the time wait just a little bit longer and then in verses 12 through 17 we get to the sixth seal i watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair the whole moon turned blood red the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth. Now here you're going to see a list that's given here of those who were in authority of the earth. Then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty. All of those who have held themselves up. And then on top of that it says and everyone else. Both slave and free. Where did the mighty go? They hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can withstand it? There's coming a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So Jesus in Mark 13 prophesies about the opening of these seals with very familiar language. In verse 24 and 25 of Mark 13, he says, but in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. This is the language Jesus uses to describe the very end of the world. And then comes this verse, at that time men will see the son of man coming in clouds and glory and great power hallelujah we sang earlier today jesus is coming again jesus is coming again there's a joy that enters into the heart of the redeemed in knowing that jesus is coming again i'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning and if you would if you would put your mask on Because here's what's gonna happen. The sacrificed lamb becomes the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the champion. He's not coming back as a helpless baby born in a manger. He's not coming back in humiliation and vulnerability. He's not coming back as one who was tortured and placed on a cross innocently. He's not coming back as one who will be ridiculed and mocked. Because of all that he has destroyed with his power, he is coming back completely in victory. Total power. Riding on a white horse. We are coming with him. Oh, great and mighty is the Lord our God of our praise, hallelujah.